Hey, we're kicking off a new series today, as you can tell, um, based on a game that a lot of us used to play, or at least I did as, as a kid, called Operation. Now, I know that you know, this is kind of a, a young church, so let me just explain to everybody in the room under 30 who might not know what this game is. Once upon a time, long, long ago, being a kid was dangerous. Not like today. There were no such things. When I was a kid, there were no such things as safety codes or uh, parental warnings. There were no childproof caps on anything. And get this. You're going to have to ask your parents if this is really true or not. At my public swimming pool in my town, we had a high dive. Somebody like, are you serious, Mom? Yeah, we, we actually had things like that. You didn't have to pass a test or wear a life jacket. Um, my, my, my dad's car, I, I, don't, I don't remember it having seatbelts. I really don't. And it doesn't matter because I... I rode in the back window most of the time, <laughs> right? Anybody else? Yeah, all right. Um, um, except when we had a station wagon, and then I faced backwards towards a whole wall of glass, which is just crazy. I had a whole different vacation than my parents looking the other direction. It was like, and, and the, I, I know we didn't have uh, airbags. What are those? I, the, the dashboard of my dad's car was made out of metal. I know that because we had a wreck one day and I smashed my face on it, all right? So there was no, there was no airbags. I never played with a Nerf ball until I was an adult, okay? I played with things like BB guns and jarts. Yeah, a man's game, you know? They're like, they're like darts on steroids, like winging at people, all right? It's like a Scud missile, all right? Uh, I, I've never worn safety goggles, ever, all right? And I know that's not good, so kids wear safety goggles. I never wore knee pads on my skateboard, and I never wore a helmet on a bike, uh, which explains a lot, I know. But um, in my hometown in northern Indiana, uh, we had four TV stations. One went off the air at nighttime, but when it was raining or something, we couldn't go outside. We played board games, not girly, silly games. We played games like Operation, all right? Now, this is just, this is just a cool game, all right? Let me kind of explain it to you. Operation, you pretend like you're a doctor, all right? <laughs> it's just like, uh, the good way of playing doctor. But anyway, so anyway, so, so just go with me here, all right? So anyway, the whole idea is that, is that you reach in and you remove these 12 parts from, from this guy named Cavity Sam. I don't ask a lot of questions. That's just his name, all right? So you reach into his cavities and you pull, you'll pull things out, which is not really exciting when you're a kid anyway until you add electricity. And then it's a whole new world because now if you're trying to remove all these parts and stuff like that, if you touch the sides... You fry him, you know, and his nose lights up and you kill him. And, which is a lot, of, a lot of pressure for a nine-year-old surgeon, I'm telling you. <laughs> you know, yeah, I just killed Grandpa, you know. And so it was just, it, it, it's kind of it's weird. But I, I guess this game inspired some of my peers to go on to be surgeons and doctors and nurses and stuff like that. It just made me want to blow stuff up. So anyway, uh, yeah, that's fun. Anyway, so the other cool thing about this is the, the shape of all these body parts that you'd have to... To, to remove, and, and they had these, these weird names, like you had a Charlie horse, um, there is not a bone shaped like a horse, just, oh, see, I learned something at church, all right, write that down, um, uh, the, the butterflies in your stomach, you don't really have those, but the one that always kind of cracked me up was this one right here, it's called the funny bone, it's not funny, have you ever hit your, did, did you ever hit that funny bone, anybody laugh when they did that, <laughs> this is great, no, they should call this the go insane and cuss bone. Right? Because that's what happens when you hit this one. It's like, ah! At least before we became Christians. Anyway, so anyway. Um, right? So there's all these weird, weird body parts. So the one I want to look at today is this one right here, that one over there. And that's the Adam's apple, okay? Now, here's the truth is there is not a part, there's not an apple in your body. 
Hi, this is such a great church. I'm telling you, um, the, your, your Adam's apple, it, by the way, both men and women have Adam's apples, but on men it's just a little bit bigger because when we hit puberty, it's like it just like well, explosion. But anyway, it's your voice box. It's the cartilage around your, your, your voice box, all right? Now, I, 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 I'm, so, I'm not very smart, but I uh, wikipedia Adam's apple, and here's, here's how this, we came to call this cartilage in our, in our throat uh, an Adam's apple. It comes from the Bible story when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they ate from this forbidden tree, um, Apparently, tradition says that when Adam ate the, the apple, a piece of it got stuck in his throat when he tried to lie to God about it. And so ever since that, that time, it's kind of a, a reminder of his mistake. Um, he's had this lump in his throat, and so that's why we kind of inherited that from him, and we call it an Adam's apple. And the fact that when a guy lies, it goes up and down a lot as we swallow and go, I didn't do that. That's part of it as, as well. But let me, I've got to tell you about this Adam's apple thing, okay? First of all, from the Bible... The Bible doesn't say that the tree in, in the garden was an apple tree. I don't know who came up with that. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, but somebody decided, let's just call it an apple tree. And from that time on, it's always been Eve and the apple and stuff like that. And the, but it's, it's not true. Also, the Bible doesn't say that Adam choked on that whatever he ate. Uh, so again, somebody thought that was a good idea. It's not in the Bible. You can you know, look in the Bible. It's not in there. But here's the other thing about this thing is that we, we know, because we're smart people, that medically and scientifically, that's not how you, you get body parts. You know, I got something stuck in my throat, and now my son Jordan has something stuck in his throat, and then his son, it just doesn't work that way. We don't inherit things that way. But the truth is, and this is what I want to talk about tonight, we do inherit stuff from people, and from, from people, from situations, from experiences in our life that change, not necessarily, you know, the way we look or a, a part of our body, but some things in our past change the way we see life. Or even see ourselves. And that's not always a bad thing. Sometimes it's, it can be a good thing. There, there, are, there are, uh, are people and experiences in our past that have helped us. Kind of built into us and helped make us the people that we are today. And that's a good thing. Maybe in your past there was somebody in your life that, that believed in you and encouraged you and said, you ought to go for that. And you're like, I could never do that. And I, I, you know, I just I don't think I'm good enough to do that. And they, they just kept on saying, no, go for it. You've got to try this. You've got to try this. And you tried it. And it worked. Because of that person in your past, your life is better because they built into you and they believed you. Or maybe something happened in your past. You know, I didn't, you know that'll never happen to me. And then it happened, and because it happened, it changed the entire course of your life in a good way. And your life is better because of something in your past kind of fell on in your direction. But if you're anything like me, those aren't the people and experiences I think about all the time. The ones that made my life better. That's not what I dwell on. I dwell on the people and the experiences in, in my life that that actually made my life worse, right? And I, I, I don't know why that is. You know, 99 people can walk up to me and say, hey, Jim, I like what you said or I like what you did, and I'll throw all that away if one person comes up to me and says, I didn't. Why is that? Anybody else? 99 people can give me a compliment. One person can find a fault, and that's all I remember. I can get 50 emails saying, hey, Jim, that was great and that was helpful and all that kind of stuff. I will throw those in the delete file and just concentrate on the one bad one. I get it says, Jim, you're, you're, you're way off that. Why is that? Why is it everybody, everybody can tell me, hey, Jim, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay, but the one person that I really want to tell me I'm okay, if they don't, then I'm not okay until they do. Why, why is that? And I think the answer can be found to that on a couple of different levels, two, two levels I want to look at tonight, and they're both connected. The first reason is spiritual. See, we, we didn't inherit a, a voice box or an Adam's apple from Adam. The Bible says we did inherit something much worse from the past. Words like shame. There was a time in history we weren't ashamed. Or, or insecurity or, or fear. Read Genesis chapter 3. Kind of see the fallout of all the bad decisions that have been made in the past. 
See, in a perfect world, I wouldn't need you to tell me I'm okay. I wouldn't have to go to another person and say, do I have value or do I have worth? Am I important? Am I desired? See, in a perfect world, it takes sin out of the picture. I'd get everything I needed from God. He, I would just believe what he told me. So the, the first one is, it's just a spiritual. There's a spiritual problem in our life. The other thing, the second reason, it's a psychological reason. It's called this. It's called the self-fulfilling prophecy. I didn't pay attention a lot in college. I was on every probation. But I, I remember psych class, we studied this one day, the self-fulfilling prophecy. And, and it goes like this. And I sat in that room and I went, well, that explains a lot. It goes like this. I see myself the way I think the most important in my life, person in my life sees me. I see myself the way I think the most important person in my life sees me. In other words, if, if I think that that person or you or my parents or, or my coach or my friends or my wife or whatever, if they're the most important person in my life and I think they think this about me, I begin to think this way about me. Does that make sense? And to take another step, and then I start acting accordingly, which can be a good thing or a not so good thing. Last week, uh, my, my daughter Allison was home from college for spring break, and, and so we, we always usually like rent you know, like all the 24s or all the you know, lost or all the whatever, and we kind of do catch up. But, so we were, we were watching this show that she loves called Intervention. You ever seen that? It's, on, it's, it's don't. It's, anyway, but um, <laughs> it, it's, it's this documentary on the lives of people that are addicted to substances and behaviors that are just killing them, killing their lives. And it's an hour-long show, and we, they interview the parents, and they interview the, you know, the family members and the friends and stuff like that. And then at the end of the show, they bring the person that's addicted in, and they say, listen, your, your family all cares about you. They love you. Um, we're offering you 90 days at a treatment facility for free if you want to get clean. And then at the very end, right before the credits roll, they kind of give a recap. Um, she stayed in the treatment, and she's all better now, or he lasted a month, and then he, he went back to, to, to his old ways. But well, it's, it's, really, it's a really disturbing. You just sit there and think, uh, there's a lot of, there are a lot of hurting people in the world. But what I found most interesting is that almost in every episode, in almost every case, the reason people were using or cutting or drinking or, or whatever is that something had happened to them in their past. Maybe when they were little kids or, or whatever, and now whatever had happened earlier in their life, today it was playing a huge influential role in determining this person's identity or their worth or their value, at least in their own minds. And so as a way of punishing themselves or numbing themselves or escaping the reality of what they were facing or dealing with, because um, that was too shameful or too scary or too painful, they just got high or they just got stoned or they just, they just checked out. They, they just tried to escape. And I, and I know that that show is very extreme, you know, and these are like the extreme cases and people that, you know, most of us aren't, aren't like that, whatever. But the truth is, is that I, I think our stories, a lot of our stories, could parallel some of theirs. You know, we have, we've had things happen to us in our past, or we've done things in our past, right? And, and as a result, we have inherited the fallout from those things. And a lot of us today are trying to live our lives in such a way to either prove that what happened to us was true or was not true. If it was true, then I have this much value, but if it's not true, then I don't have that much value, Right? We inherited things from our parents, some good things, some not so good. Some of us had great parents, but some of our parents, um, they weren't so great, were they? You know, they, they just weren't there for us, either physically or emotionally. We needed our parents to be something or do something, and they either wouldn't do it or they didn't know how. Some of our parents gave us unconditional love. I mean, every day we knew that mom would love us, dad would love us, you know, whoever, they would love us. But some of us heard our parents tell us that they loved us, but we knew there were strings attached to that. I love you if, right? If you perform at a high enough level or do certain things or play the role or look the part or, 
you know, do what I want you to do, then, then, then there'll be love coming your direction. Everything from scoring enough points in the game to making high enough grades to just don't do anything that embarrasses me. And if you do that, love will come your way. And here's the thing is, some of us, we don't outgrow that. I've actually talked to 60 and 70-year-old men, and I'm sure this applies to women, but I, I can actually recount conversations with, with guys in their 70s whose entire lives and careers have been driven and are still being driven by the same voice in their heads that drove them when they were 7 or 8 years old, the, the voice of their dads. The voice says something like this, if you can't win the game, if you can't be first, if you fail, or if you make a mistake, you're not a real man. And that same voice is playing in their heads 50 years after their parents are dead. You know, for most of us, our parents have more influence, good or bad, on us than most anybody else in our lives. But it's not just our parents. We've inherited stuff from people around us as well. You know, because, because you and I all, we, we all wrestle with insecurity and a need for external approval. I need somebody else to tell me I'm, who, I'm, who I am and, and if I'm okay, especially when we're still young and trying to figure that out. We allow people to speak into parts of our life that they, they really don't have any business speaking into to tell us if we're good enough or if we're not. Now, I'm going to vent for just a second, all right? I've got to be honest with you. I, I believe in God, and I love God, and I think God's perfect. But if I could pick out one thing that I think God, uh, he didn't do wrong. But if I was him, I, I, when I see him, I'm going to ask him what he was thinking with this whole puberty thing. I am, all right? I, I, you know, for some of you, are like, that was, it was, those were great years of my life. Well, good for you, all right? I mean, <laughs> puberty is bad enough, but here's what I would suggest to God. Everybody should start on the same day. The stagger start thing just sucks. It's just horrible, okay? It's not bad if you're, you know, your parents put steroids in your bottle and you're like an early bloomer. You know, hi, I'm in the third grade, you know? Yeah, 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 it, you're good for you. But, but if you're a late bloomer, that would be me, all right? Junior high and high school are hell on earth. You know, I wasn't always this good looking. I, I mean, there was a time. Shut up. Anyway, but... I'm I, I telling you, if, you say, if, if someone came up to me and said, I will give you a million dollars to go back to junior high, I would rip it up in your face. There's just no way. There was a conspiracy at my school, all right? At least in my gym class. There was, okay? Because it's like, it's like let's put Jim between Bigfoot and Hugefoot. I'm telling you, it's like, I'm like hi, guys. I'm, this is my lock. You know, and they'd be like, oh, good, get in it. You know, I'm just, I'm telling you, it, was, it, it, was, it was horrible, horrible. Because I would sit there, you know, and some of us, you know, some of us are like, I, I put him in the lock. You know, good for you, all right? But, but for some of us, we're sitting there going, you know, look, look at them. They must be men. And I must not. And that sounds kind of funny. We laugh at it and stuff like that unless you're living through it. But then it'll mess you up. It'll mess a lot of people up. One, because we're afraid there's something wrong with us. And two, because people, kids and adults, can be really mean and cruel. And then we have to live the rest of our middle school and high school and college and adult lives trying to prove to ourselves and somebody else that we are something more than what you said we are. Or we're not what you said we are. And my point is this. All of our lives, all of my life, somebody's been telling me, this is who you are. This is what you are. And this is how much you're worth. And they base it all on external things. Things that I have done and things that have been done to me. Things that I have and things that I just don't have enough of. And I'm telling you, if you hear that or feel that enough, you start to believe it. Right? See, if enough people or the right people encourage you and help you and believe in you and stick with you and love you, you can see life and see yourself in a pretty good way. But if those same people kick you and abuse you and rape you and molest you and ignore you and ridicule you, or if you mess up on a big enough level... 
Do something, you know, so huge and so unforgivable, and then other people refuse to forgive you as well. It's pretty easy to understand why you begin to see yourself that way, and we inherit. Some stuff falls on us. We begin to fulfill that prophecy as well. We start to act and become like other people or our own hearts have told us that we are. That's what I want to look at this month. See, we're going to kick off this series, and I got to tell you, this talk is part one of a four-part talk, meaning I know some of my talks feel like a month, but this one talk is going to go for a whole month, and, and this, is how, this is how tonight's going to go. We're going to, I'm going to throw a question out there, we're going to answer it, and then I'm going to throw another question out there, and you've got to think about it all week, and then come back and we'll, work, we'll do the same thing next week. In about 20 minutes, you're going to go, well, I guess he's done. Well, let's go home, because we're just going to stop. We're not going to try to cram it all into one week. So here's what I want to look at today, is this question. What does Jesus have to say about what's been done to us? What does Jesus think about what's been done to us, either by somebody else or our big mistakes that we've done to ourselves? More specifically, what does Jesus have to say about its impact on who we are and how much we're worth from his perspective? From his perspective. What we did, you know, last year, last week, last month, last decade, whatever, what does he think about us? in terms of who we are and how much we're worth. Now, here's why it's so important to answer those questions from his perspective. See, some of us have swallowed, not an apple, we haven't gotten choked on that, we swallowed a lie that this, what we did, what they said to us, and what we've done, all that, that's who we are. It's all we're worth. It's all we can ever do. And that perspective, it needs an operation. It needs surgery. It needs to be amputated. Or better yet, you know what? You need a transplant. You need a better one. Well, whose? Whose definition? Whose perspective do I need on on my life? How about Jesus? See, if we can begin to see ourselves the way Jesus sees us, then maybe we can begin to fulfill that self-prophecy as well. Let me kind of set up this teaching tonight with a teaching that Jesus gave. See, this is why if you stick around here a lot, you're going to find out Jesus, and I don't know what church has taught you in the past, but Jesus and religion never go well together. Religious people don't like Jesus, all right? And Jesus doesn't like religion. I'm telling you, not so much, if you go back and read the Bible stories, Jesus was having fights with religious people all the time. Not because Jesus was breaking God's laws or God's commandments, but Jesus and his followers kept breaking people's commandments. People would come up with rules and try to make people do things, not because God said so, but they just kind of put words in God's mouth and, and kind of made it equal with God. And Jesus called those things man's traditions. Man's traditions. You can't find them in the Bible. God never said them, but they're part of some church somewhere that says, you got to do this in order to be a part of this religion. One time after Jesus has been drilled over and over and over about, hey, Jesus, why don't you do this? And why don't you do this? And how come your followers don't do, do this? Jesus looks back at him and just, he says this. He replied, you experts in the law. I mean, you know the Bible. You can quote Bible verses at everybody. You've never missed a church service, whatever. You're experts in the law. Woe to you. In other words, watch out. Because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And if that wasn't bad enough, look at this. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. That's a pretty good definition of religion from Jesus' perspective. Ever been to that church? Hey, let me load you up with this. And let me load you up with this. Let me pile some more on here and some more on here and some more on here. And then there's never like a, and now let me help you carry that. Or let me show you how to get rid of that. No, you just carry that for a while. It doesn't help anybody get better. See, every word that comes out of Jesus' mouth, Every commandment that ever came from God had one purpose. Let me show you a better way to live. There's a better way to live. It's it's called being connected to God or reconnected to God. That was the end goal. That was the end game of what Jesus had to teach people. But the religious people, 
had put so many hoops and hurdles and obstacles in the way, nobody could get to God anymore. Not because God had done something wrong. Not because God had put a wall up and said, you've got to jump through this hoop, but because people were blocking the way. Let me, let me give you an example of this. This is so important. This, this argument these people had with Jesus was so important. They, they, these religious people got around Jesus one day. They said, Jesus, we want to talk to you about something really important. Here it is. Ready? And I don't know if Jesus was expecting them to say, what about the poor? Or what about God? Or what about heaven? Here's, here's what they, they want to argue with him about. How come you and your followers don't wash your hands before dinner? <gasps> oh, no. You know, I, and by the way, there is not a rule in the Bible that says that a good Jewish person washes their hands. Now, there's Jewish teaching, but it's not from God. It's from people. Hey, I got an idea. Um, let's make everybody wash their hands, and if they don't wash their hands, we can tell them they're not connected to God. That, that'll get them. They actually had meetings like that. So why don't your people, like, wash their hands? And it had nothing to do with their concern for health. You know, you, know, you could get sick, Jesus. No, they're building a case. See, they want to disqualify Jesus and say, see, he doesn't do the things we think he ought to do. He doesn't look the way we think he ought to look. Ever had that told to you? He doesn't perform. He doesn't act the way we think that he ought to act. And Jesus knew what they were up to, and it ticked him off. He looks back at him and says, you're asking me why I don't wash my hands? I mean, I got a question. Why do you pile up all this stuff on people that has nothing to do with God? As a matter of fact, you're keeping people from coming to God. Now, look at this, all right? So he just he ticks off these people. He goes, you, you, know, you, you speak for God. You're actually the obstacle, you religious people, of why people can't even find God anymore. Then he turns to the crowd that's kind of watching, like, like, oh, look at him fight, look at him fight. He turns to the people, calls the crowd to him, and he said, listen and understand. Because they'd all been watching this fight go on. He called the crowd and said, listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. And the word unclean is the Jewish word for connected to God or not, all right? So he's like, listen, hey, listen. They just said this whole argument about washing your hands. Listen, what you put in your mouth has nothing to do with whether you're in good standing of God or not. It's what comes out of your mouth. All right? Then the, the, like his, his followers get around and go, uh, they came to him and they said to him, they asked him, um, did you know that the Pharisees, the religious people, were offended when you said that? Jesus, you're going to get emails on that one. I'm telling you, people are going to be <laughs> mad, all right? And he replied, and this is great, every plant that my heavenly Father has planted has not planted, will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They're blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall in a pit. In other words, Jesus says this. There are some things that my father has said and done, told us to do, planted. All right? That's a good thing. There's some things that some people have said, even in God's name, to say, hey, do this and do this. They've planted some things. I'm telling you, my father's going to rip that out one day. Now, leave them. And the, the, the word leave them actually means... Don't carry that stuff. Don't, don't, don't let that get a hold of you, and don't you hold on to that, even if they claim to have said it in the name of God, because, and here's the thing is, if you go with what people say about you and the way people treat you instead of the way God, what God says about you, I'm telling you, it's going to be like a blind guy leading a blind guy, and that never ends up in a good place. And Peter's listening to this, and Peter's one of the followers, and he says, he says to him, Jesus, could you explain that parable to us? In other words, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, plants and washing and coming in and out. I, I, what, what does that mean? See, G, Peter had grown up like a lot of us have, going, going to religious buildings, and the guy up front, the lady up front had, had taught things like this. If you don't keep the rules, if you don't perform at a certain level, if you, if you don't look a certain way, if you make mistakes, if certain people don't approve of, of you and what, how you look and what you, how you act, there's something wrong with you, and God has a problem with you. Or in religious language, you're unclean. And Jesus is coming along, and he's saying, it's actually opposite that. See, um, the message of God, 
Jesus says, the, the reason I'm here, um, the message I have is not, if you're good enough, you can be with God. That's not what Jesus came to teach. The message of God is this, is that in spite of everything you've done or what, how other people have treated you, God still wants to be with you. And Peter doesn't get it. He's like, ah, no, 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 my, my rabbi told me this, my priest told me this, my parents told me this. Jesus, I don't understand. And so Jesus is, is, is like, he's speaking a different language. So Jesus just looks at Peter and says, how, how can I explain this to you? And then he kind of has a, an aha moment. He says, okay, Peter, listen, I'm going to get really, really basic here. So let's, let's follow along. And, and maybe, you know, he pulled up a little chart or something like this. And he, he looked at this, this question in verse 16. Hey, Peter, are you still so dull? Which sounds mean. You got I mean, that would hurt my feelings. Like, oh, I'm not dull. And it actually, in the Greek, it actually means, can you not connect the dots? Can you not connect? The Look, Jesus asked him. He says, don't you see, follow the chart, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth, all right, let's keep it on, all right, goes into the stomach, the Greek where there's actually bowels, and then out of the body. All right? And the Greek word for out of the body, um, it, it's, uh, it's a word that actually means to the place where people empty their bowels. So literally what Jesus is saying, Peter, don't you know that stuff goes in your mouth, goes into your stomach, and then out the other end? <laughs> Are you following me? Can you get me, Peter? All right? And Peter's like going, huh? yeah, yeah, Jesus is so smart. Like, that happened twice today to me, I'm telling you. <laughs> This, this, this is starting to make sense. What goes into my mouth really, you know, just going to come out again. Right, 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 right. But, so he goes on. Okay, now you're with me, Peter. Yeah, I'm with you, Jesus. Keep going. Okay. But the things that come out of the mouth come out of your heart, and that's what makes a man unclean. What do you mean? See, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, and, and the heart here is like your soul, your spirit. Out of a man's spirit, out of his soul come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make anybody unclean. See, here's the truth that Jesus taught. Here's how Jesus sees you. And here, here's the truth about how he wants you to see yourself. What's happened to you on the outside? How people have treated you, how other people have treated you, how you've treated yourself, um, doesn't have the right or the ability, or shouldn't, to determine your future. We say this a lot around here, all right? Your past has no right to dictate or determine or define your future. See, what somebody else has done to you may reveal something about them because it came out of their heart. But it, it doesn't, or at least it shouldn't, have the right or ability to determine the condition of your heart or your value or your worth, at least according to Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, if, if external things are trying to say this is all you are and who you are, the best analogy Jesus can come up with is that's a bunch of stuff that belongs in the bottom of an outhouse. That's what Jesus says. See, what happened to you in the past is not nearly as important to Jesus as now in spite of what happened to you. What are you going to do now? See, Jesus is the God of do-overs from this point on. From this point on. I, I know what happened in the past to you or in you or on you or whatever, but God is more concerned about now what's going to come out of you. Because see, what comes out of you kind of shows where your heart is. Everything else flows out of that. What you do now determines the value of your life, not the past. Jesus says the past, that's just a bunch of, it's just a bunch of poo. That's all, that's all it really is in the Greek, if you want to get technically. 
And apparently, here's the thing. Jesus wasn't alone. This is cover to cover in the Bible. There's a bunch of people that say, you know what? What happened to you externally, how people treat you, good or bad, I'm telling you, it's, 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 it's a bunch of rubbish. Look at this. This is Paul. And Paul wrote, like, more of the Bible than any other person. He's probably responsible for more people becoming Christians, but he screwed up a lot. So he's just been defining, hey, this happened to me, and this happened to me, and this happened to me. Now look at verse 8 of chapter 3 of Philippians. He says, what is more? All right? I consider everything a loss. All right? Everything is just a waste compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I mean, I, he lost everything for Christ. Look at this. I consider them, and what's the word? Rubbish, okay? Now, rubbish doesn't mean trash, all right? We're going to find out that rubbish is actually the Greek word skubalon. Everybody say skubalon. Skubalon, which is Greek for poop, all right? <laughs> if you don't believe me, just, you know, go call Greece or something. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Uh, the Greek word for rubbish is skubalon, and it means poop, and it actually means the kind of poop that comes out of a cow. So literally, Paul is saying this. I'm telling you, all right, everything in my life is bull scubalon. <laughs> Not going to say it again this week. It's all right, all right, all right, all right. But, but the deaf people out there are like, they're going crazy. But anyway, so anyway, everything in my life, I'm telling you, is rubbish, is scubalon compared to this, bumping into Jesus, finding who I am in him. He told me who I am. He told me how much I'm worth. My parents tried. My ex-wife tried. My, you know, the, the, the cops did. Whatever that is. I've had all these voices in my head telling me, this is who you are and this is what you're worth. I'm telling you, all that is scubalon compared to bumping into Jesus and finding out who I really am in, in him. Now, there's a lot more to say, but I'm done. I'm going to stop right here and we're going to go home. Or we're going to sing two songs and we're going to go home. But let me kind of wrap this up at the bottom line to kind of set up the rest of the series. What Jesus is going to say to us over the next month in here is not, hey, what happened to you or what you did, that's not important. It is important. What happened to you is important. It was important. Jesus is not going to say that what somebody did to you or what you did to somebody else wasn't horrible or painful. It was. He was there. He saw it. He knows how bad that hurt. You know? And he's not going to say to, to you, hey, what happened in the past, that doesn't matter. It will always matter. It will always matter. I mean, people have come up to us and apologized, and we said, oh, don't worry about it. He's never going to say that to us. It does matter. It helped form us into who we are today, to pretend like it didn't happen. That's not what he's going to ask us to do. But what Jesus is going to say is this, is that whatever happened to you, either because you caused it or somebody else, doesn't have the right to define who you are or how much you're worth or trump who he says you are. Or determine what your future is going to be from this point on. We're going to find out from Jesus is that's in, that's in your hands. And he wants to help you figure that out. And that's what this series is going to be about. So come back. So I want to, I want to kind of throw one question out here for next week. You might want to write down this so you remember it. But here's the question I want you to kind of walk out of here with tonight. Based on everything that's happened to you in your past. This is for next week. What do you wish? Maybe a better word. What do you hope? I mean, you know what your past is. But now, what do you wish, what do you hope your future looks like? I mean, you know your past. You can't change your past. But now, what do you hope the future looks like for you? Let me, let me kind of say this a better way, all right? If our past isn't supposed to define or determine our future, here's a better question. Do you think it's possible that God could actually use our past, our, our mistakes or the mistakes that have been done to us, for something good?
that's what we're going to talk about next week. I'm going to pray, and then we'll go home. All right, let's pray. God, um, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't know what to say to that. I know it's true, but I still wrestle with fear and insecurity and, and shame all, all the time. And I listen to all these voices in my head, and, and, uh, and I'm a pastor. I, I know what you think about me, but I still have these other tapes playing in my head, and I think I speak for everybody in the room. So it's going to take a really clear voice from you and a lot of patience from your end to put up with us until we finally begin to believe the things that you believe about us. So you're not going to tell us that what happened to us wasn't that bad or that important. It was horrible. It was very important. You're not going to try to say that we should get over it. Um, there's some stuff that's happened in this room. I, I don't think we'll ever be the same. But what you are going to say is, is that, all right, in light of that and in spite of that, what's the future going to look like? Because the past is... Um, it's about as useful as Scubalon. So what are we going to do now? We've all made mistakes. We've all just kind of screwed some stuff up, and other people have done some stuff, and it's fallen in our direction, either because they chose to or they just didn't know any better. But now we're kind of left with that. So God, we're just coming to you this month and just saying, would you help us figure out the future? Whether we're seven or, you know, 97, we still want to make sure that that from this point on, we're going in the right direction. We show us what that is. We hope the future is better than the past. That's our prayer. And it will be if we'll just walk with you towards that better life. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.